0: How's it going? It is Samson Folk. You're listening to the Raptors Reaction Podcast. And we are here after a Raptors victory. That's right, three in a row, the third culminating on this fine Saturday night, 97 to 94, right down to the wire against the Pacers. Their second win in two games against them. Their third win in three games against the teams they've been facing. And that moves them. The 4-3 on the season. A winning record for this team. Pretty darn good early on. And I gotta say, a defensive battle in this one. And the Raptors would not have been able to... What's the term for when you, you beat out a storm? They calm the storm, survive the storm. There's like a poetic term. Wait, wait, wait. Weather. Yes, they weathered the storm by the steady hand of Fred VanVleet. With of course uh, a bunch of different players chipping in, the run made by Svi Khailuk early on. I don't think they would have made it this far without that. Scotty Barnes, obviously twenty-one and twelve. Scotty Barnes, twenty-one and twelve. Sam vasini the Athletic. The, he works at the Athletic. The Athletic is a you know very well respected publication. It's one of the biggest. It might even be a you know approaching second biggest. And he labeled Scotty Barnes as a zero-level scorer. A friend of the show and a person who does fantastic work at the score is Fandi Haney. He and I have, uh, we have a, a karate match, a a martial arts, a mixed martial arts match uh, scheduled for some time in the future where we'll duke it out, battle out our ideas of whether Fred Van Vliet is a two-level scorer or a three-level scorer. He assuming the latter, I assuming the former, and we will fight based on this. But uh, Sam Vecini said that Scotty Barnes is a zero level score, that he would have no scoring to speak about. And at this point, I think he's now, after scoring 21, like around 18 points per game on the season. And we're seven games in. Now, 18 points over a seven game sample is not like an insane thing. But when a lot of projections were suggesting that this kid, this Scotty Barnes, the super effervescent, energetic, long limbed genius who's conveying his body around the court in a bunch of interesting and wonderful ways, him having a seven-game stretch of 18 points per at any part of this season would have been something to really write home about. And here we are, smack dab in the, well, the beginning, and he's just there. Pretty crazy to see, especially one play he had later on in the game where he just he had like a four second ISO on Sabonis. Tried to shake loose, was showing a little bit of an advanced dribble, tried to use his footwork, got a little bit of an edge, but not really not not something you'd be super proud of. Threw the ball up at the rim, and just Sabonis, who's a huge guy. I talked about this last time. The last time they played the Pacers, like two days ago. You know, Sabonis is a big brutish guy. You know, Nikola Vucevic is the finesse big man who looks like a a brutish big man. Sabonis with the little hair curl and flip up front, and yeah, you know, he, you know, he's well groomed. Maybe he looks like the finesse guy, but he's brutish. And Scotty bullied the hell out of him, pushed him under the bucket, got the rebound, put it back up, and I was like, wow, you know, Scotty, this is sheer force of will. He is exacting upon these these Pacers. It's pretty damn impressive. And you know, ho-hum, another game where Scotty Barnes leads the team in points, that is radical, man. That is extremely impressive. But yeah, anyway, thanks for tuning in, Raptors Reaction Podcast. Of course, host Samson Folk. I think I said that earlier, but I'm substituting it in now because I have to apologize that there will be no jazz rundown in this game, which I've had many people reach out to say, hell yeah, it's good, keep doing it. And I haven't had anybody say it's bad yet. So that's a very, very good indicator to me. But in this particular game, uh, I watched it with my brother and my grandmother, and my brother and I were caught up in a conversation about politics, as we are wont to do, and also Dune and the adaptation that just came out, which I loved, you know, I read Dune, I love Dune. And uh, he hasn't read Dune, but we were talking about how difficult it is to apply it to the screen. So my mind was elsewhere, as far as coming up with a bunch of well, basically like a jazz scat that is, you know, a, a quick uh, distillation of the game. I couldn't I couldn't do that. I caught the game, of course. I watched the game, every action, everything that happened. But uh, my mind wasn't constantly working away at trying to come together with a jazz scat. So for this game, uh, we will not be uh, going through it. But the start of the game, I think, was... Uh, Dominated by a couple different things. Ball pressure from the Pacers and really great ball pressure, particularly above the break. That meant that the Raptors kind of settled into their above the break sprint into handoff stuff. And the ball kept ending up around or in Precious Situa's hands. And the Raptors fell down early, I think largely because A, the Pacers remembered what happened in the first game they played this season. And they came with a little bit better plan of attack as far as Sabonis goes. And Sabonis did lead early, was able to draw fouls and get to the line, and was able to get more shots for himself than we saw in the first game where he only attempted four. He attempted 18 in this one. It was clearly something he was looking to do. But on the other end, the Raptors, the ball falling into Precious's hands. And Precious, as we know, is very willing to call his own number. In fact, uh, to the detriment of the team in a lot of cases, right? Because he certainly has an advanced handle for his position, for his size. But is it to the point where he can just jettison himself wherever he wants on the court? Absolutely not. That's not really in his bag whatsoever. But you know, he was two of nine in this game. Finished with four points. I was was a negative in this game for sure. Kim Birch definitely provided the lion's share of good minutes at the center position. And that's okay, because Precious is a work in progress. But early on, he really hurt the team on both sides of the floor, I think. And So they came to an early deficit. Then things start to turn around a little bit. Fred, Steady Freddy is the name, right? He's helping guide the Raptors into more sets that are fine-tuned, I would say. Getting better looks consistently, and the Raptors are starting to play a better brand of defense, which allows them to run out a little bit as has been the case for very, very many games this year, and I suspect almost every game that we'll see this year, the Raptors' offensive prowess will be tied inextricably with how many turnovers they can force from the other team and how many points off of turnovers they can get. 97 points scored on the game. 28 of them came off of turnovers. That is a huge, huge ratio. Not one you see often in NBA games, but you see it here. And for the reason... That we all know, the Raptors are a limited half-court team because they do not possess super top-end half-court scoring talent. They just don't. So they make do with what they have, and currently are at four and three so far in the season with a near-average strength of schedule as far as what who they've played. So uh, hell yeah, they are relative to what I thought early on, and you can think I'm a schmuck, but they they're overachieving. I thought that they would be able to, you know, obviously defend. I wasn't sure if they could walk the tightrope of defending at a super high level and generating turnovers and maintaining both of those tenets because they have been able to so far and uh, enough to buoy their offense. I was, you know, I was, uh, I didn't really believe, I was pessimistic as far as that I would say. And uh, they've done a hell of a job to keep both of those things going supplement their offense and that was a huge part of this game obviously it's something that they did in the first game sending a lot of attention at the pacers particularly sabonis seeing what they can create run guys off the line move them into the mid-range rotate together stay on the string and make sure that the defense stays intact and in this game holding them to 94 points i'm sure this game will probably move them into the top five in defensive rating for the year Of course, seven games is a small sample size, but there's nothing to take away from this except positives, honestly. Hell of a performance uh, continues to impress me. The closeouts, a lot of guys are super, super crisp. The ability to catch up with the length, even if a guy does get a step. And when they're operating as five guys on a string to recover, oh, sweet Lord. Okay, I have a voice in my Bluetooth headphones. They're smart headphones, right? Like that's the term. And uh, it lets me know when the battery is getting to a certain level. And it basically just screamed that in my ear. It's, <laughs> it scared the hell out of me. It was way too loud. Anyway, sorry. But when they're playing five guys on a string with that length, with that activity, they can create a lot of chaos in turnovers. And in this game, they can take away a lot of passing lanes without being as perfect as a lot of other teams just because they have so much length. And we see the game as, you know, journalists, as fans, a lot of it from a certain perspective that shows the whole floor. We don't have to try and perceive passing lanes on the floor like a Fred Van Vliet or like a Chris Duarte or like a TJ McConnell being shorter than a lot of other guys on the floor. These lanes are not as apparent to them on the court. And that's what length does and height does, is it blurs the lines of basically every single passing and driving lane available to any player at a given time. Of course, very special players see lanes where others don't. And that's often how I describe the best passers in the world is guys who see passing lanes and passes that the viewer doesn't because the viewer has such an easy view to recognize passing lanes. And there's a lot of good passers who make the pass that the viewer sees all the time. But in this case, they're just not seeing passes. The length is deterring a lot of what's going on here. And the Raptors have been able to, I think, deter stuff and steer teams into shots that they're more comfortable with from players that they're more comfortable with. I just think it's, it's been a hell of a defensive performance. And it really showed up in this game. Absolutely, the, the Pacers missed Malcolm Brogdon in this game. But they also saw Caris Karis LeVert return. And had he played the whole game... I wonder if the Pacers take this one home because Karis LeVert came out right away and started punching every single gap available to him against this Raptors uh, defense. And like that's the part of the Raptors thing is true dribble penetration. I don't know if they have what it takes to completely stop that in its tracks yet. That's why I think they had trouble against Washington really is Bradley Beal and Spencer Dinwiddie are both excellent, excellent drivers to the bucket. And that's why Karis LeVert was so, so effective Uh, early on in this game I'm really excited to see the Raptors once they start playing teams with really high level drivers how often that happens Uh, DeMar DeRozan also had a very good finish to them when it was the Bulls right so uh, interesting stuff to see I think the Raptors you know with this Pacers game finishing up four and three now they've played teams that really lean into what they're good at defensively and that's been bearing fruit Definitely, as they, as I said you know, earlier, they're probably sitting at a top five defensive rating now after this game and did a hell of a job moving the ball out of Sabonis' hands when they could. He did a lot of his damage on the offensive glass and being a big, brutish guy. The Raptors don't, like if Sabonis wants to apply himself to be the biggest guy on the floor, basically at all times, he can do that. The Raptors don't have an answer for that. And even though Kim Birch, I thought, had a great game full of, you know, It was spirited, his performance and his defense and his hustle. But, you know, he's still not as big as Sabonis. And if they're going head to head to clash together, the Raptors aren't going to be able to stop that completely. But, you know, in the end, the Raptors played a great defensive game. They steered the ball and guided the ball where they wanted it enough. And the Indiana Pacers performed poorly enough from the floor, particularly from three where they were 13 of 43. And there they are, the Raptors at the end of it all, winning this game largely on defense. Offensively, the Raptors did find some things that worked, largely Scotty Barnes, once again, over 50% from the floor, got to the line a few times, and presses the issue constantly. And it was interesting to see how the Pacers were defending. Uh, You can go read, like, Caitlin Cooper, who, as far as X's and O's and analysis of what's happening on the court, probably better than anybody else who covers basketball in the public sector. Just, I, you could go to ESPN, you could go to The Athletic, you wherever. Follow Caitlin Cooper on Twitter and you will find somebody who is better at breaking down the game of basketball in a very digestible and clear-cut, knowledgeable way. She's the best at it. And she understands the Pacers very well. And as she's been talking about, they are hedging more this year. And the X-outs have been inconsistent to say the least and the Raptors you know trying to navigate that all the hedges and the more aggressive defense up front and honestly in this game did a a fairly poor job of it the Raptors had more turnovers than they usually have Uh, I think you know guys like Gary Trent Jr. really suffered in this game as far as offensive process as did Cam Burch and Precious Chua with that extra attention and I think a credit to Fred Van Vliet and OG Ananobi in particular for working consistently all game to find their own rhythm and find their shots within the framework of the, the Raptors' offense against this Pacers' defense. And once again, just to highlight, Scotty Barnes, his work rate and his touch around the rim is fantastic. He puts, himself in, he puts himself in positions that he has no right making baskets in, and he makes them with a, a remarkable efficiency at this point. By the way, if you haven't, uh, Blake Murphy released a fantastic video breakdown of Scotty Barnes and how his feel and the application of it, something you could hear us talk about on the weekly podcast last week and how it's created so many avenues for for him, uh, how it's creating more scoring opportunities for him and how he's making good on them. That's awesome. That's something that's lovely to see, but he did an awesome video breakdown on it. So just go to his Twitter. I think you'll be able to find it or Go to, I think it's Sportsnet's YouTube channel and you'll see it there. It's really, really good. And uh, I'll also have a biomechanics piece coming out on Scotty Barnes on Monday, which if you're into biomechanics, you'll probably love. I talked to an MD about it and uh, it, it should be really good. But uh, anyway, that's enough plugging. <laughs> but yeah, most most importantly, Fred, OG, and Scotty, I think just doing a fantastic job of helping close out this game. It was... It was awesome. It was just great to see OG five assists, 46% from the four, 43% from three, you know, only one turnover. And not to mention, as I talked about last podcast, OG is the backbone of everything that the Raptors are doing defensively right now. He is far and away the best defender on the floor. Pretty much every game he's been in, he's been a revelation on that end, even better even better than I think some of the best defense we've ever seen him play. Offensively, he's going through the motions on some plays. He's still slowing down too much, really kind of settling into iso ball. But on other plays, he's maintaining that momentum of the possession, turning it into a space for himself to create, to draw attention, kick the ball out. He did have one play that I thought was basically the most important play I've seen from him this year, maybe. And it was a spin in the lane, where he planted his right foot so hard that he stopped all of his momentum and he raised up for a dunk. OG Ananobi's spin for the longest time, the momentum of that has carried him out of bounds. And it's because OG, once he starts spinning, he's he's a very fast spinner, honestly. And his spin has been going through a transformation since he brought it into the league. It was something where his spin was kind of like a half post-up thing because he'd always hit his defender with his back. And the defender would slow him down because it's, you know, that point of contact that boom, they hit each other. And then he'd finish. It was like a bulldozing, clearing space technique. But there's more finesse to it now. But that also means that he gains speed that he can't control. This was probably the first time I've ever seen him control his spin speed to this degree. That hard plant, and he, like, he took that right away and translated it into a dunk. It really, Karis LeVert was guarding him. It really set him off balance and just gave him a free look at the rim, which he delivered on. OG's kinetic energy and his displaced body parts have been a long, long time fixation of mine because he is like Bambi on ice at times. And then other times, he looks like the most imposing athlete on the basketball court. The more often he's able to gain that balance and really you know, bring that strength forward and bring it with that balance, that's when he becomes just an incredible wrecking ball going downhill because he's on balance and he's the strongest dude on the court and he's long so he can finish at the rim over guys and with authority so something to watch for that was probably my favorite play from this game outside of course of in the fourth quarter i think it was goga bataze that fred van vliet had an iso on fred van vliet had him a couple times but didn't like how the defense turned like was rotating according to that. So brought it back out again and then got past them one last time. Nice series of dribble moves, got to his left hand. The defense rotated. And by that time, OG had relocated to the far, the weak side corner. He hit him with a pass. It was a bucket. And just, you know, seeing Fred work through his reads on the floor, tremendous because it, it was a great pass and he worked really hard to tilt the floor in his advantage to create the terms of that possession. And something they smash the like button on, and I do too. I really like that possession from them. And it's a large part of why they ended up winning was Fred's steely, determined playmaking and ability to hold the floor in balance. Really heady lead guard stuff. Now, the Raptors, it doesn't mean they're world beaters or anything like that, but over this three-game win streak, Fred's play in particular has been, I would say, quite inspired. It's not gaudy numbers. It's not anything like that but there is a management of pace and floor balance that he's asserting. That's fantastic. I'm really proud of him and what he's been able to do. It's, it's very smart basketball. Really cool to see. And the Raptors, they keep winning because the defense holds up and they're doing just enough offensively. There's a rapid run at this, the end of this game from the Pacers, but Fred goes one for two from the line. Then Scotty goes two for two and then it's a missed three at the end. They made their rapid run, but the Raptors, who played the better overall game, held on to win 97-94. to 94. Super fun stuff. I, I enjoyed it immensely. Reggie Evans award winner. I'm going to Scotty Barnes with this one. Continues to impress me. I, he works so hard offensively, defensively, and while watching his defense, which I've been doing more so, kind of re-watching these games that have been honestly full of defensive punctuation plays but a lot of these possessions he is way out he is like 12 feet off his spot he is lost at times but it's that work rate that he has that gets him back into spots and obviously on offense it's been a huge boon he's way ahead of where anybody quite honestly anybody publicly said Scotty Barnes is ahead of it i didn't i didn't see anybody and i don't think and if they did we would have heard about it because they'd be screaming it from the rooftops. I said Scotty Barnes was going to be scoring 18 points a game this early in the season. Whatever, right? But it's the work that he's putting in that allows him to recover defensively and to get to spots offensively. Is it like, does he have obviously a great read for the ball off the glass or the rim? Like Dennis Rodman, not not truly Dennis Rodman, but just Dennis Rodman is an example of a guy who read the ball off the rim terrifically well. Yes, he does. But also he's working really hard to get to the spot where he thinks the ball is going to pop loose. He's pushing in transition. He's got court coverage, although sometimes misguided on defense. He's just putting in a ton, absolutely a ton of work. So yeah, good good to see. And the quick top quick reaction comment is from Red Van Vliet, who is acknowledging the uh, Scotty Barnes towards the end of the game appeared to be holding his thumb, grimacing, uh, jammed his thumb. The X-ray came back negative. So hey. Good news there, obviously. And here's the good news too. If you're looking for something else to do, you can stop listening to this podcast because it's done. Hey, thanks for tuning in. But whether you got into this in the morning or at night, have a blessed day and goodbye.